0: Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveru.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton-Garino.
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and happy Friday from everybody here at the Best Ever You Network, which is uh, me in my office, <laughs> <And> kids home. <laughs> I'm just messing with everybody. Um, hope everybody's having a good day. We've got a cool guest with us. Uh, a good friend of mine, Corey Poirier, is here. He's going to come on and talk about the book of why and how, um, and We're going to talk probably for about an hour. So if you're on your treadmill and listening, we're going to go for an hour or so. And um, lately I was telling him before he got, I'm like, just before warned, I've been going like an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes and totally losing track of time. So um, if I do that, you know, we'll just abruptly just, you know, turn this off. (laughs) It's so funny. Anyway, um, Corey's website is that speakerguy.com. And, uh, Corey, how are you today? Did you get a lot of snow where you are? I I know we're buried in it.
2: (laughs) No, I I actually didn't. I think I escaped it because I just flew into another place where we didn't get hit. So I escaped it, but (laughs) I keep seeing the news feeds that people are getting hit with it where I would normally have left from. So I missed it by, I think, probably about a day.
1: Oh, nice. Nice, nice. Well, hopefully you're nice and warm and sunshine and all stuff. It's actually kind of pretty, but it's a lot of snow. But, you know, it's one of those March storms where it's like, eh, yeah, this too shall pass. If this was January, I'd be freaking out, but it's March and it's okay. So anyway, all right. So we have, um, if you're listening, this show is going to have some purpose behind it because the show is going to be all about purpose um, and understand the benefits of uncovering your purpose, strategies for uncovering your purpose, and I like this a lot. Um, from Corey today, we're going to learn three timeless secrets that he learned during interview, interviewing thousands of the world's top achievers. He's, he, I think he's interviewed like 4,000 people. Um, we'll talk to him about that. but um, Corey is a TEDx um, multiple TEDx speaker. Uh, multiple time TEDx speaker, and also the host of the top rated Conversations with Passion radio show. He's the founder of that speaking program, and he's been featured on, you know, on everything, all, tons of TV and so forth. Um, he, he's written for Entrepreneur Magazine and Forbes, and, um, you know, he graces us with his presence here at Best Every. I'm always happy to have you here and have you as a friend, and um, I, I appreciate you including me in your new book, which is called The Book of Why and How. And um, you just Pretty special, and your new dad. New dad, how's that going? Yeah, <laughs> it's uh,
2: it's it's awesome, but it's certainly the word "new" is is I think the operative word because everything is so new for somebody who's never gone down this path before. My girlfriend and I are learning everything as we go, so it's it's been an interesting challenge, is what I'll say. But it's obviously very rewarding.
1: Yeah, that's that's good. Well congratulations on baby Sebastian and um to your to uh, your girlfriend Shelley and and you have does three fur babies mean cats or just dogs? What is three fur babies too? We gotta talk about so then, we'll, then we'll move on to the book.
2: Uh yeah, so it's it's actually two cats and a dog and the cats are um brother and sister and they've been basically inseparable since birth and then mm-hmm. uh and then the dog is He's getting up there. He's—I think he just turned 15 this August—and he's a wow. silky carrier. He's, he's Sprocket is his name, and we call him Sprocket the semi-retired rocket because he gets these little bursts of energy and comes out of retirement. But for the most part, he's—he's um, he's pretty laid back and does a lot of sleeping. Yeah,
1: our dog's 11, so I get what you mean. Yeah, think dogs are so cool, and so are cats too. We have two cats and dogs dog also. So, all you people out there listening who love pets, we love pets too, and you know all the good stuff. So, all right. Let's go to your book for a minute. So you have a new book, The Book of Why and How. Um, tell, me why tell me why you wrote an, another book. You've got, you've got a lot of stuff going on. You took time to write a book.
2: <laughs> so I, really, for me, what it was about is I try to base things on what do people continue to ask me? And so I was getting asked a key question all the time. And, you know, in the name of the book, in the title, you can kind of tell probably what the question was. But basically, people are asking me, how can I find my purpose? How can I find my calling my passion, or what I found more recently, people call it their why. And so because I kept getting this question of what is my why? How can I find my why? I answered, of course, when people ask, and you do your best to help as many people as you can with that. But at the same time, you start to ask, is there a better way or a more efficient way for me to answer this question than individually each time somebody asks? And, you know, for every 10 that are asking, it means 100 are wondering. So really, Elizabeth, it came down to getting the questions so much, I thought, why don't I try to distill this in another way to share it that maybe I can reach a new audience of people and more people and also even provide a more detailed answer for those people that are already asking me. Hmm.
1: What, and so that's what made you start to decide sort of studying um studying this and, and writing about it. But what um why do you think it's so important for people to un, un uncover this or know this? Why do you think people are so are asking that?
2: Well, and it's interesting too, because I was studying it way before I I ever put it to print. In fact, I've been speaking on this for years, which is why I kept getting the questions. And so that's sort of what um, triggered me to go down the path as I was already kind of doing the research. But in terms of why I feel that people are asking the question, is I really think for a lot of people, they're searching for the meaning of, well, two part, why, you know, why am I here, meaning what am I called to do? And then the second part is, I also think, which is the the sad part of this, is that I heard a statistic uh, through a Gallup study that was just done that said 85% of people in their study they found hate their job. And this is very similar to what I found, and I also found similar numbers to people that really were disengaged with their life as well. And so what I think it is is a lot of people are disengaged, whether at work or at home, and they want to become more engaged. I think really deep down, they want to find out why does this guy seem to be always so happy and fulfilled? And why is this person not? And so really, I think it's because people are searching for answers and want more meaning in their life and just don't know how to go about getting it. So I think it's just a desire to be more fulfilled.
1: Do you think it's possible to find that?
2: Well, yeah, absolutely. So for me personally, I, so, and I, I'm sorry, I'll correct that. It's possible to find it, but I'll use the word uncover because I really think that for all of us, deep down, we all have that purpose or calling in us. It's not something that we kind of created. And so, I mean, I I guess technically when people hear the word find, maybe they think it's something that they're searching for that's outside of themselves. But for anybody that I've worked with or, or found that has discovered their why, including myself, when you look back, there were all kinds of hints. And it usually was just layers deep, and and you didn't realize it was already inside of you. So for me, speaking is my passion. Why I'm doing it is to impact lives, to inspire others, to educate others, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that was all inside of me. I mean, right from when I was a kid, I was out trying to be the the person that was um, doing the talking. If we're playing Frozen Tag, I was trying to educate people on how it worked. So, I mean, there were hints all along. And yeah. so, yeah, so I think at the end of the day, it's absolutely possible to find it. But I think it, maybe it's easier for people to look at it as uncovering it. Hmm.
1: Um, what are the, what do you think, what are your common, what's com- is there anything common to people? I guess that's the best way to phrase that. Is, is there anything that's common other than, you know, statistics about people hating their job and being disengaged and stuff like that? Is there anything else common that you've found?
2: So, yeah, well, so I can say, you know, when we talk about it, and we mention some of these timeless secrets I've discovered, it's interesting because what I found is for the high achievers, and when I say this, I always have to try to preface it because I don't want somebody to think I'm saying, you know, a high achiever is more meaningful or, or purposeful than somebody else. But a lot of times, these people that have really impacted a lot of lives and they found their purpose and calling and are serving it. They just uh, seem to be more fulfilled overall, and they seem to be happier, and they seem to be able to give more energy to others because they have more energy. And so I found common traits among them. So I guess you could say the flip side is I found commonalities that people that haven't reached that level yet are not doing. (laughs) So, you know, the commonality basically is what these enlightened super achievers, I call them, are doing. Is the same thing that a lot of us just never heard of or didn't know was an option. The interesting part is what I found as far as commonalities. These things aren't stuff that it, it matters what background you're from, how much money you make, where you started from. It's stuff that you can all start implementing tomorrow. So the cool part is it's not something that's you know out there, pie in the sky, or you have to invest half a million dollars to achieve them. So I, I have certainly found some commonalities, and I can I can certainly share if you want what some of these sort of timeless secrets are because. It works on both sides. It says, here's what I noticed a lot of people aren't doing, and then here's what I noticed these people that have reached this level are doing.
1: Yeah, I think I think we'd love to hear that. I'm going to have you hang on one second because I've got to go back for one minute. So um, can you can you clarify, Does in order to find your purpose and your why and everything, can that mean like, well, my purpose was to be a dog walker. I mean, do you have to be an enlightened super achiever to be, to find your purpose, your passion and your why? I mean, like, you know, what if somebody doesn't want to be famous or make a ton of money or whatever, but they just want to, you know, impact lives in a, in a different way. Are there all sorts of ways to find your passion, your purpose and your why?
2: Absolutely. And in fact, I would go so far as to say the vast majority of people, don't want to be what we'll call maybe a thought leader or somebody that's influencing lives and maybe even a quasi sort of celebrity. You know, some cases a full celebrity, some cases maybe a half celebrity. I don't think the average person wants that. I think a lot of people think they want to be a celebrity, but until they sort of see or live that lifestyle, uh, it changes. But yeah, to answer that, 100%. In fact, I would say the majority of people won't take that path. And so you hit the nail on the head when you said it could be a dog walker, it could be my mother had a male lady that used to bring dog biscuits for her dog every time the mail lady showed up and so every day of the week she'd show up with dog biscuits and you know play with the dog and hang out and chat with my mom and and this is somebody that worked for the postal service who this was her calling this is what she loved doing and she told my mom that and you know when i talked earlier i mentioned um you know for myself uh some of my passions like practicing yoga is one of my passions And, you know, you're not going to probably get famous practicing yoga, unless you're teaching, and and still might not then. Uh, But just practicing yoga is a passion. Playing guitar, I mean, I play music, and we talked about it in the show before. I play, you know, shows and have CDs and that. But just playing music in the house, for me, was always a purpose, long before the other came along. And I would have been happy to keep doing that. But, yeah, to answer that question, I would say everybody's purpose is to to some degree different. And uh, we actually had somebody on our show who said that he knew that for a fact, his mother's purpose, her sole purpose was raising a family. That was what she lived for. Yeah. And she just loved having people around. And, and whether it was her own family or even uh, inherited family, he said he'd bring musicians home and they'd be like two, 10 years older than her. <laughs> and she was giving, yeah. trying to give them allowance, you know, and, and cooking for them and all that stuff. So, so yeah, so the answer to answer the question, the question, Elizabeth, in a shorter answer, 100%. It doesn't have to be the sort of thought leader purpose or anything like that. And the cool part is the, the strategies for finding it is the same either way. But, yeah, I don't want anybody to walk away thinking, A, that it has to be something grandiose. And, B, I also don't want somebody thinking that they have to do it full time because that's a myth. A lot of times people will ask me after hearing me talk or in an interview and say, well, you know, what can I do that's going to replace my income? Or what can I find as a passion? And I say, you know what, if you're looking for it only to replace your income, it's probably not your true purpose.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I I am just such a believer in that. A lot of the things that were, you're you're really lucky if you if you're if all three of those things, you know, are are there. Um, and I think a lot of us exist in a mode where your a lot of your hobbies are really your passions, and that's okay, you know. And you might not be a famous Cajillionaire from it, you know, but you love to paint or you love to do your little crayon drawings or you bake, like, I love to bake chocolate chip cookies, but um, I don't think I'm going to be Mrs. Fields anytime soon. You know, <laughs> a lot cookies, a little, yeah, so, but you know what I mean? So we, you know, we all have these things that we're incredibly passionate about and love to do and they make us happy and so forth. And so um, I want to move forward and sort of distinguish um, sort of what you're what you mean then um, when you talk about like the four whys in the book and then how they apply to everybody. I I think that's really kind of a cool thing that you've done here, no matter who you are and what you're doing, this applies.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what I'll say too, is, you know, when you were talking about your passion may never sort of make you a millionaire or even make any money for you, a great example of that just as something that popped in my head is, my girlfriend is a photographer, and I say as a photographer, she takes brilliant pictures, she's done it for years, you know, has multiple high-end cameras, and every time I've mentioned to her, hey, that's something you'd ever want to do for, for money or for a living, she scoffs at the idea and says, it would ruin my love for it. Not interested. So you know, going to your point as well, there's even a scenario where some people are scared that if they try to attach money to it, it'll actually ruin their love for it, because then it becomes a job, and then it's something you have to deliver on. And that changes it for somebody. And her, she loves taking pictures of nature and and animals. And so it's harder to make an income as well. If you you know, animals don't pay a lot of money, and nature doesn't pay anything. So, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. Know. It's so it's going to your point. It doesn't have to be something you make money at. So, yeah. yeah happy to answer though. Happy to move forward into the the four whys. I love it. Basically the well, and the way I presented in the book, and I should kind of give some credit to where they came from in terms of these four whys for me. And it's interesting because it was inspired for me by this, but I never took I took one concept from him. Uh, but Jim Rohn, the business philosopher from years ago, had this talk. And during his talk, he said these four whys, which was why, why not, why not you, and why not now. And he sort of answered that within it. So in other words, you know, what is your why? Why couldn't it be you? Why not... Or Sorry, why, why shouldn't you do it? Why not you? And then why not now? That was kind of just, he did it in a little, um, I'm going to say he did it in one form. And then I, I just said, you know what? These are the same kind of four whys I run into all the time whenever people don't move forward. You know, maybe, and so the catch is, the first part is maybe they discover their purpose and then they just sit on it. You know, it's something they love to do, but they don't do it at all. And so, uh, you know, then it becomes the question of why not? And then, you know, then they start saying, well, maybe it can't be me. You know, maybe I, maybe I can't do it. Maybe it's somebody else, maybe I'm not good enough to do it. Maybe I'll just leave it because somebody else will do it if I don't anyway. So then it becomes asking yourself the question, why not you? Why shouldn't it be you? And then the why not now is surrounding this idea of why is now not the right time. So people will say, well, maybe I'll just do it later. Maybe I'll do it when I retire. And so it's questioning that side of, you know what now, as they say, today is the Today is the best day to, second best day to ever plant a tree. Twenty years ago was the best time, but today is the second best time. Tomorrow is the worst time. You know, so it's, it's, it's the truth is is that now, and if you think about all the opportunities we have now in a globally connected world, today is truly a better time than there ever has been for doing whatever it is you're doing. And so, it kind of goes and explores that idea of why not now is the time. So that's sort of the four whys in a, in a short nutshell. Is the first one is actually the why. So how do you find it? And and I take people through exercises for how to discover that why and how to discover their purpose. And then because, like I say, I know that they're going to say, well, maybe I shouldn't bother. And maybe, maybe it's not me that should do it. And maybe I should just leave it till tomorrow. The other three examine those. And, And basically, in a nutshell, you can probably imagine from a mile away, the idea is I try to disprove the person that sits there and kind of puts it off to the the future and tries to leave it to somebody else. I mean, I want people to realize we're waiting to hear their music and their story and nobody else can quite tell it like them, you know, as a metaphor, of course, but the truth is, is that we need them to tell it because they're the only one that can tell it in the way they do. And that tell it could be as simple as taking pictures on their own that only a few people see. It could be, as you said, it could be uh, working with garbage. It could be, um, being a maintenance person, it doesn't matter what it is, but somebody's waiting for to be served by them, and it's, they're the only person that can serve in the way they do. They're the only true uh, individual version of themselves that's ever existed and ever will. So, it really, it tries to disprove the idea of it can't be you, and and don't beat yourself up and say you can't do it now.
1: Let's go for a second to the person who's deep down miserable. There, there are always people who listen to the best ever you show who are really searching for something different and they might not know what it is. They might not know their why they, they, they know in their heart and their gut that they're just sitting there going, "Ugh, (laughs) I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to work at this job. I don't want to feel sick. I don't want to be overweight. You know, whatever it is that you're, you know, generally you get to a point where you've just had enough and you make a change. Um, Speak to those people for a second and, and help them move out of that? Cause that's a big move when you make a choice to change.
2: Yeah. So here's the, I mean, so I'm a full disclosure person, but anybody that knows me knows I'm not a, uh, I never say anything ever. Maliciously. It's never, it's always to sort of help and serve. And so what I will say, Elizabeth, the challenge with that cause I've been there and this is am so speaking from firsthand experience. That's where I lived until I discovered my purpose. And that's, you know, I, I share this openly, I actually share it in the book, that I fought and battled uh, generalized anxiety, hypochondria for years, because I was a, sort of that mindset, and I didn't like what I did for a job, and I didn't see my purpose. So I want to say that, you know what, when I say this, it's because I totally empathize because I've been there. What I will say, here's the challenge and what I didn't realize at the time, and it was one of the hardest things for me to sort of swallow as a pill, is that, a lot of it was mindset so a lot of it was actually me a lot of it was what I was doing to myself a lot of it was m- through my lenses what I was seeing so when I say that there's no question that to me there's certain careers and certain things in life that other people love and some people don't like at all and so I'm not saying that it's not true when you don't like your job or maybe you have a boss that that bullies you and, and there's all kinds of circumstances which would you know, dictate why you wouldn't like your place in life right now, like your job or situation you're in. But what I'm getting at is I think it all starts with mindset. And so, and in the book, I go into a bit of this, but where it's changed for me was when I discovered my purpose. And then I did the stuff backwards that I would recommend people do frontwards now. Um, I think (laughs) I've added that as a word right now, but you know, in, in the front or the forward position, I would recommend people be more proactive. So what I did was I discovered my purpose. And as I was discovering it, I was surrounding myself with more positive people because they were pursuing the same purpose as me, which started, by the way, with stand-up comedy, then moved into speaking. And in both of those fields, the people I was surrounding myself with were in the same place as me, and they were excited about what they were doing. And so all of a sudden, I was naturally surrounding myself with people simply because I pursued the purpose. So that happened by accident, and I think that played a big part in my mindset improving. And then what I also did was I started pursuing my purpose on the side of my job. So at the time, I I liked my job early on, and then I was disengaged by that point with it. And I was ready to leave. And all of a sudden, I started performing stand-up, five minutes a week, and I'm going into the office, and people are saying, wow, you got like a jump in your step. Did you fall in love with somebody or something? Did you meet someone? And people couldn't believe the change in me. And all that was happening, it was five minutes a week, I was delving delving into my passion. And so that started changing things. So first of all, it was the, the mindset of me, Getting more optimistic and positive because I was pursuing my passion, even on a tiny small scale, and it wasn't even affecting my work, other than it was bringing more positive energy into my work. And then at the same time, I was surrounding myself with more positive people because of what I was spending my time doing. And then at the same time, uh, I found that what I started doing as far as activities is I started watching, let's say, stand-up shows, and that was more positive than perhaps the negative stuff I was watching for binge-watching before that. So. What I'm getting at here when I say all this stuff is what I recommend people do is as they're searching for or trying to uncover their passion, there's some other steps you can take. And one of them, it's an exercise I recommend to people, is start making a list of the people that you surround yourself with. I'm going to give you a super quick exercise, but make a list of the people you surround yourself with. Add a positive to the ones that bring great energy or positivity to your life. And then add a negative or a minus sign to the ones that bring toxic energy to your life. And then what you want to do is you want to see where you're sitting now. And so if you spend most of your time with a certain 15 people, you build the list with them and 13 of them are negative all the time. So I can tell you for sure, that's one of the reasons that you're already negative and, and, and maybe a nayfair that you're bringing that energy everywhere you go and you're surrounded by it. So the harder part of this whole exercise is then you have to decide, am I willing to start spending less time with certain people? Am I willing to, spend no time with certain people? Am I willing to go in and seek out and find people that will bring some positive energy into my life? And that doesn't have to mean like you go out looking for friends at a back. You know, I mean, it could mean that you join a networking <laughs> club or a chamber of commerce or a rotary, or, or you go, you know, you go and, and find a way to surround yourself with people. Maybe you go volunteer uh, for um, you know, boys and girls club or whatever it might be. So what I recommend people do is you need to get your mindset Straight and how you do that is you figure out ways to add more positive energy. One of them, as I just mentioned, is the people you spend your time with. Another one is what are you watching and reading? So maybe you start watching a TED talk every three days or every day because they're very positive typically and you learn from them. Maybe you read a positive book. Maybe you read quotes on Facebook that are positive. So what I'm suggesting basically is you need to go through your life and say, what am I spending my time doing? What part of it's positive, what's negative, and what changes am I willing to make to make the change to that? And then the secondary part, of course, is the helping you locate and uncover your purpose. But even if you start with the getting the positive energy in and getting some of the po- negative energy out, I think you'll find the negative self-talk will start to slowly disappear.
1: That's wonderful. I'm going to add to that if I if you don't mind, because um, for anybody oh, listening do. who wants wants to lose weight, I've helped a bunch of people go from, um, you know, the 350 pound mark down to the 160 170 range. It's it's one of the things I do. I usually help one person every year do that, and um, one of the ways I'll just give it, a, it it plays off kind of what you said of adding. I didn't hear you say, I take that away or subtract. What you said was you add to your life. And I think that's so key when you're in a situation where it's not, you know, perfect or ideal or what you're, you know, what you're feeling super passionate about. When you add things that complement to what, where you're trying to get, you know, you take an action step in the positive way. Like you said, you know, going, go join a positive group. You know, you're changing it up. Basically, you're changing your energy up and so forth. And um, that's exactly one of the things we do when we help people, when I help people lose weight. Um, one simple thing, I have them add two cups of vegetables <laughs> to their diet. They don't have, they're like, so what do I have to do to change this? I'm like, nope. The very first step that we're going to do is add um, something. So it's it's just really interesting. Um, I I don't know if I can, if we're, we're going to, you can fix my articulation skills here, but,
2: <laughs> you know,
1: adding, instead of subtracting, is a really key way to make a change, I think is my point.
2: Yeah, I agree completely. And I will, will, I guess, add to that. <laughs> I had Good. To, uh, we brought in a speaker one time uh, whose uh, name is Bruce Sweeney, and he runs a company called Simply for Life. And basically it's, and I've always been really impressed by them, it's kind of a new way of thinking about your health. And, you know, to make a long story short, what they really focus on is empowering you to make your own decisions in the future. And what I love is that they don't say, okay, you have to eat our food. Cause you see that a lot in, in, um, yeah. I'm going to say weight loss company. And uh, they, you don't have to buy their supplements, their food or nothing. Basically what you do is you pay a monthly fee and essentially, and it's a pretty reasonable monthly fee and they simply mm-hmm. guide you and give you the exercises and teach you the process and you meet with them. And I mean, it's like really low monthly considering you get to meet with them throughout the month, but what he said when I brought him in as a speaker is he said, most of you are probably going to expect when you heard I was coming in to talk about lifestyle and nutrition, that I'm going to tell you what you can't eat and what you have to take out of your shopping cart. But he said, what I'm here to tell you, because I find it easier is I'm going to tell you the five things you absolutely need to put in your shopping cart. And then what you'll find is over time, you'll want to automatically yourself decide to subtract the others from your cart. But he said, I leave that part to you, but I'm going to tell you what you have to add in. And he talked about five things. I think one was Kiwi and he talked about how it was actually uh, one kiwi a day is like three apples. He said so like a kiwi a day and you can keep the doctor away for three days. And he talked about cayenne pepper. And so he just listed uh, five things that he's learned over the years that if you add awesome. it to your diet will start changing things. And so it's just kind of neat when you mention that because he's the only person that I ever heard from that perspective speaking on health and wellness who actually said add rather than subtract.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I've got um, – my list is a little longer. It actually ends up being about 10 or 12 things that you eventually add, but we add them in, like, each week you add a new thing. And, you know, by the end of – most people within probably the first 30 to 45 days have dropped 25 pounds. Um, and it's pretty it's a pretty tried and true-tested method that I've got going on, and it's kind of fun. and um, But, yeah, I just – I love what you just said about mindset. I'll mean, go back to you here adding things like if you, if you don't mind, I almost want to have you say that again, because, you know, you said, you know, to, to let me just reiterate it a little bit and then you can fix it. But you, you were talking about, you know, making a list of the company you keep. And maybe it's beyond that. Maybe it's the things you do, you know, the company you keep the things you do, you know take a really solid inventory and go plus negative with it. Like what you're saying, like positive negative energy and then find things to add positively. i I love that concept.
2: Well, it's, it's interesting because in the book, what we actually did is we went further. So when you mentioned going further mm-hmm. on it, I'll, I'll tell you where it sort of came from is this was earlier on in my research. I started noticing what high achievers were doing to live. A, I, call it, I call it the better life formula. So and actually the, I did an audio program on it called the better life formula revealed. That and it was, was basically great. saying, here's what I've noticed, a simple step that these highest of achievers, and again, I go back to that saying, the people that are enlightened and helping other people, here's what I noticed they have in common. And so what I noticed is, just what you said, they did an inventory and said, okay, how can I bring more positive into my life? How can I reduce the negative? And then here was the third part. How can I um, add my purpose into that? So whether they already knew it or they had to uncover it, whatever that meant. But the formula was actually that. It was positive positive energy minus negative energy uh, plus passion or purpose equals uh, continued success and significance. That's essentially what my formula was. Mm-hmm. And so what I dived into in it and then the book, so the book itself, we dive into this but actually provide exercises. So when you mentioned about going further than just the surrounding yourself, I went to that one because you know of course, we could spend an hour just me talking about the different things that uh, you know I talked about in terms of what a positive, Energy thing, with the negative energy thing, uh, but but yeah, what I suggest people do in the book is I go into in terms of affirmations or gratitude is kind of a, you know your positive self talk so that's bringing positive energy in, and so I, I say gratitude or affirmations because some people that you know some people affirmations are too woo woo, and so I try to be very practical because this stuff didn't come to me naturally and I wasn't a big fan at first. I was like whatever, that's all just high in the sky stuff. So I had to go the practical way. And so for me, the practical way was gratitude. I could literally, why can't I write down three things a day I'm grateful for? That seemed seemed practical to me. It didn't seem like that's anything pie in the sky. And it made logical sense to me that if I say, um, yeah, I should be happy about this, then I'm going to feel better overall, over time. So uh, I talk about the importance of having a gratitude journal. And that's one way to add positive. And then I talk about also um, the books you read. And so I actually go into learning, you know, so what can you input that's positive with learning? but then i'll tell you the flip side i go into the removing negative and i give this one story example of my mother back and i'm bad at the timeline because it's been a while back but i think 14 years i'll say and uh, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer but it was non-life-threatening but at the same time when you're you know when you hear that as a son or you hear that as as the mother herself the non-life-threatening part doesn't compute right you just all you hear is cancer And so she went in to see the doctor, and he wrote something on a prescription notepad, folded it up, handed it to her, and he said, uh, you know, here, just take a peek at this when you leave. And so she just expected to go to the local uh, drug store or pharmacy and pick up some uh, prescription. And she opened it up, and his prescription to her for fighting cancer or battling cancer was, don't read the news and don't watch the news. So if you think about that, you know, it's the idea of, again, what are you putting in? And so what I used to do, and I got to start doing, again, a talk that used to go over really well, is I used to bring the newspaper on the stage, and what I would do is say, if you – I'd ask the question, how many people here feel they must read the newspaper to be informed, and all the hands would go up, and I'd say, okay, if you absolutely must read the newspaper or read the news, here's what you need to do, and then I'd rip off the front page, and I'd say, start at page two, because most of the negative stuff is on the front page. And I would say the same for online news. You know, don't read the, the first thing that comes up because it's probably negative. It's harder to avoid online. But then when it comes to your watching your nightly news, tune in at 10 after the hour because the first two minutes, it's like the newest thing we discovered about this politician or this food yeah. or whatever it might be. So again, what I say is if you have to do it, start, don't start at the beginning. Don't read the front of the paper because it's the most negative. And then what you also have to do is if you have you have to balance it with positive so if you're going to read the news and you feel you have to do that then maybe watch a ted talk so you can actually get some positive in to balance it out so i definitely dive really far into that in the book because i believe just as much as finding your purpose is important i think also figuring out what your mindset is now and how to change it is equally important yeah you know
1: i i think I think it's all great advice. I, I really do. Anything, anything to add positive to. Um The other thing I wanted to remind listeners too, just from my own experience too, um, I'm almost 50. I'm I'm 48 years old, and I'm a mom of four boys, ages 16, 18, 20, and 22. And um, it's I think it's really important. That, again, it's my opinion to constantly. Um, go with the flow you know you gotta it's a constant process to ch- you know to change and adjust adjust is kind of my favorite word for it but you know life is a life has changed for us here at our house you know they three of the kids are not here they're I have, I have, they're in college and so we have one here um who's a sophomore in high school and that has been a huge change um, from for me personally, everything I used to do is no longer. I am not doing six loads of laundry a day. I'm not running the dishwasher twice. I am not, you know, there's just time that's available. And it's really important to adjust, I guess. Do um, you want to add to that? Take it and run?
2: Well, <laughs> well if, if, I mean, I would go... And, and I guess add to it, but maybe also take a different perspective just because I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, I'm uh-huh. and, and I'm almost almost the same age, and our, our child is seven months. <laughs> so, yeah, what see? I would add in is that, and this is, you know, and I, this is not a certainly not a comparison because we're only seven months in. And there's parents that are, you know, time tested and have, have already proven, you know, that they can you know, raise the children and, and do the right things or, you know, and if, there's not even a right or wrong, really, but they can do the things that help them become a responsible adult. But what I will say is one of the things that's really important to us, so my girlfriend and I, and, and I'll give her more credit than me on this. We try to you know, we try to have positive things going, like maybe watching a TED Talk, and, then, and, and I just use TED Talk as the easiest example, sure. but, and then having him sort of hear that. But what my girlfriend does every night before he goes to sleep, and it seems so small, but I really believe it's going to be a massive difference maker in the long run, is she whispers to him, you know, you're good enough, we love you, don't ever change, um, you're already enough, and she tells him that um, you're special the way you are, and basically just sort of positive affirmations every night. And she tells him, we'll always be here for you. Uh, we'll never be disappointed in you. Uh, we don't judge you as good or bad. And she whispers all these things to him before he goes to sleep every night. And, and in between there, you know, she, we play with him. And we do all the stuff that, that uh, I think a lot of children, you know, right now it's hard to give children that because parents are so busy. And you have dual parents working. And, and it's, no, it's not easy for us either. But I really believe it could be a difference maker. Especially when you hear all these stats of, you know, the children now are kind of left to their own devices, with the devices, and and we're seeing right away, it's like he was born to know what a phone is, because I think I might have mentioned this Mm -hmm. to you, but in learning to crawl, you know, you could put the phone down, I tested this because I saw how excited he got, he didn't even know what a phone was, and he was running to get the phone, like he was crawling as fast as possible. So it's almost like we've sort of now evolved our children into knowing what technology is, and and I believe that's possible because we've seen it over years how animals and people have evolved based on the previous generations. And so all I'm getting at is we're trying to counterbalance that. But I, I love what she does every night. And I'm not there every single night to be able to do it. So she's sort of taking that on. But I think that's something as well that's really important for parents to think about is what's the input the child's getting. And if we can give him that at that young of an age, we might be building the foundation for something that later on sticks that he doesn't even know why sticks. <laughs>
1: yeah our kids have been our kids have been raised with best ever you and um so there's a sign that's been hanging on the refrigerator you know I put it in their terms hashtag um gratitude <laughs> you know and that and that hangs and so i think I think it's so cool as parents when you can recognize to slow down and be mindful and a a child learning to be mindful at a young age is so mindful and aware um those phrases that you're whispering to your child um, so many kids don't know and they don't learn until they get older and something happens and then they're searching and wondering how, you know, their, their passion, their purpose and why at an older age. (laughs) And so it's, it's interesting um, to, to touch lives like that young, but yeah, but as from an older point of view, and I, and to help people that are, you know, our age and so forth with whatever they're doing, I just think to your passion, your purpose and your why change off, you know, sometimes. Absolutely. And, and that's what I mean by adjust because, you know, my passion and purpose and my why for a really long time really didn't have so much to do with me, even with best ever you out there and so forth. Most of my passion, purpose and why, um, and it still is, you know, or the, the boys and my husband, um like you know that's just a huge focus and I'm noticing that the time frees up a little bit where you know my passion purpose and why are still them but it's not um, picking kids up from school and attending this game or that game or this game or that game or you know having all four of them on the field at once you know this is totally different than it was and um, so I think it's really important for people to recognize when it's a big change is going on in their own life um Because people can really, you can really fall into different things like depression, anxiety, um, and feel your purpose slip away um, if you don't recognize it. And I think your book really helps with that.
2: That's where I was going Well, here's another, you know, I guess a question that I would pose, and I I don't, you know, I don't pose this for necessarily an answer, Elizabeth, but it's just more of a, a reflection thought. but. Something that I've been asking, for, so you asked why why the book. I guess another thing I didn't add into that is a question that I've been asking for years. And so I discovered my purpose and calling at probably 27 years of age. And so the question that I was asking for years after that is why wasn't this taught in school? Why you know why was there yeah. a course dedicated to finding your purpose? I mean, how is that not as important as chemistry or biology or you know or math or? Whatever that might be, how is, you know, finding your purpose not as important? I mean, that could dictate the job you go into right out of school, so shouldn't that be part of career day? And I just never understood that. And I'm not saying there isn't a school or some schools that focus on it, but I would say the vast majority don't. So, you know, the question becomes, why isn't this in school? And so part of what I'm trying to do with this book in the long run and the bigger picture, too, is I'd love to see – find a way, and, and I'll work toward that, but getting it into the hands of younger and younger people so that even yeah. if the school system isn't going to find a way to work it in, I can somehow give them some of the tools earlier on.
1: Yeah, and thats it, it's interesting that you said that because that's one of my goals with Percolate, too, is to um, – I, I wrote it in such a way that you know, a teenager or, or college person could read it and um, not learn about purpose so much, um, but learn about values and goals. Um, percolate to me is a lot about um values and goals um wrapped in around um, how to make change um so I, I think that's really i think the anytime you can reach younger people, like you're saying, because it's really not taught in schools, having gone through the school system. Um, we have a pretty mindful school system here where, um, you know, they definitely teach about giving back to the community and all of those things, but maybe not so much focused on your own individual purpose. That's not a knock on, on family schools by any stretch, but, you know, I I bet that's a fairly, a fairly common, common thing here with the different schools. Um, you know, you get, you think you, you you like to think you're getting well-rounded and stuff like that with, you know, band and chorus and art and math and English and all that good stuff. But um, I'm I'm not so certain that ties necessarily into your exact purpose, especially if you get a bad SAT score or something. You might be feeling like you're terrible at it. Um, but, yeah, wouldn't that be neat if there was a course like that that you didn't?
2: Yeah, I'd love it.
1: I would. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Because not everybody is great at math or science or English or different.
2: Well, the thing, I mean, who knows? You know, I'm still, uh, I like to think I still have a lot of years to go. So at some point I may push in that direction. But I know that, I know, for example, Stephen Covey, uh, his work, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I know that they've gotten into the school systems and I know how much work it took, how many people involved, and how many years, and they're just starting. So, you know, the question is, how much can you put into that? If that's not your core and only purpose, but you know, at some point that might take over, and maybe I'll push in that direction to try to do whatever well, I can to get something like that into a school the school system.
1: You know what the yeah, and you know the beautiful thing kids are kids are pretty internet savvy and and stuff these days and and technology savvy. So the good thing about shows like this is they hear them. Um, our, our mm-hmm. audience Absolutely. you know when you put a show out like this and talk about your book and so forth don't think for you know it, it, the people go and be, you know it doesn't matter what age um, We have te- I have teenagers that come up to me all the time and say you know I read your book Mrs. Garino or they call them Mrs. G <laughs> <laughs> because they don't know how to pronounce my last name <laughs> and, and so That's you awful. know it happens so if you know you put it out there into the world everybody listening whatever age you are um, parents out there you know this I, and I've read your book, and it does make a, a, it's very handy for youth, for sure. And you've written in such a way that it's it definitely could uh, impact youth. So if you're a parent out there listening or whatever, it does make a good, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word gift, but, you know, a purchase for a younger a younger adult, it's it's a good one. Um, you should meet Dr. Julie Connor too. Um, You would like her. She does a lot of work in the schools here in the States. I could, I could introduce you to her as we're talking here. I'll make sure I do that and make a note. Um, So talk a little bit about more. um, Can you talk about your writing process a little bit? I know that's, I I know it's a little bit off. Yeah. You know, as you were writing this book, what did you learn?
2: So it's funny because, you know, when you mentioned writing process, I certainly recognize that a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different writing styles and processes. Some people don't enjoy the writing, and that's why you're seeing now people that will basically hire a ghostwriter to put their book together or a transcription service. I actually really enjoy the writing process. And in terms of how I write, I so I I basically the hardest part now is finding the time because I love it so much, but there's already, you know, always so many things on the go. But what I try to do is I try to actually, once I know I'm in that mode of now I'm writing a book and working on a book, I try to essentially say, okay, this is how many hours per week I can put to writing it and working on it. Uh, I love long plane flights because of that. But, um, but yeah, so what I do is I sort of dedicate time that way, but the way I write, which is probably unique and I have to say that I saw it with my when I used to write a lot. I, I don't write as much music anymore, but I wrote the same way with music as, um, as literature. I actually write in such a way that it doesn't feel like, and it's going to sound weird, but it doesn't feel like it's me writing when I'm writing. It feels like it's, been, it's being shared to me somehow. And so I'm writing, and I don't do the – I know a lot of writers will basically map out their whole book and then um, they might have it on a wall beside them, and, and this is part one, this is part two, maybe they have the 12 chapters outlined, and they have all the outlines done up. I don't do it that way. I basically have an idea of what I'm writing about, but then I just go, and so it's almost like I'm telling a story, and then it basically, it just comes to life as I go, and knock on some wood, I haven't ever hit writer's block doing it that way. Same with music, I sit down, and I if it's meant to come to me that day, it'll start writing. And most of my songs, and even some songs that have been on the radio and done quite well, were written in like eight minutes. And never, I never went back and adjusted them again ever. So I feel kind of blessed because it almost seems like it, it sort of, I guess, comes to me. Now, what I will say is just because I say I don't necessarily hit writer's block. There's days I sit down and the writing's not good, and there's days I sit down and and the ideas don't mm-hmm. come the same way. I just mean. It's that when I get back to it again, there's still going to be a point where it starts flowing. So for me, I sit down and write, and I don't map it out or outline it as much as I know a lot of other people do. That's simply what works for me. Now, I recently interviewed James Redfield, who wrote The, the Celestine Prophecy, 20-plus million copies sold, and he had a full process for how he wrote the book and, and totally respected. He, he actually um, he set aside writing time. He did all that kind of stuff, but then as he wrote, he writes all the way through, which I do this too. He doesn't try to edit it. He doesn't question anything. He just writes and flows, but then he goes back seven times afterwards himself before he shares it with anybody else. Then what he did was he sent it out to 50 people and asked them to read it, and if they got stuck and, and he went to them and they said, well, I stopped reading a while back. i got to get back to it. He wanted to know which page they stopped on because he wanted to know why that page wasn't a page turner, and so he wanted the book to be a pass long book and a page turner. So he basically brought it out to 50 people. And until they were all satisfied and said, this book is amazing, i got to tell my friends, he wasn't ready to do anything with it. So he goes through this whole process. For me, I just sit down to write. And then basically once it's done, I go through it a couple times for grammar and to make sure stuff flows properly. And then basically I get it to my editor. And then she does the magic and suggests there's something that doesn't really flow properly, sends it back to me. So my writing process is, I guess, I, 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 should, I should feel blessed. It's, it's fairly straightforward. But I have said that the next book, and I kind of did it with this book, but I have said with the next book, I want to start using what James does about sending it out to 50 people and, and that process. I really like that. And I kind of did it with this book because I had certain portions of the book that I sent out digitally and got feedback on and stuff like that. But I love that concept. But for me, uh, that's my process. And so what I learned during it, it's kind of interesting. If it's a fictional thing, like a fable, because I've written those books, I actually learned stuff that came to me that I'm like, I never thought of it that way until now. And so I actually learn as I write. But then a book like this, there's a lot of components of it that I've been teaching or that I've learned during interviews. Uh, so I'm kind of sharing. So the wording is coming to me naturally, but I'm sharing what it is that I've learned already in the past. So it's not like, it's not like I'm saying that all the ideas come to me, like the surrounding yourself with certain people and doing that exercise. That was something that came to me as, as a speaker when I was putting together a presentation. And then I had to find a way to work it into the book as an exercise. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but I kind of learn as I yeah. go, but it, it does sort of flow to me rather than me doing a full outline and, and working that way. But I don't discount somebody doing that. And I also don't discount somebody getting up at five every morning and writing for three hours regardless of what comes out every single day. That works for a lot of people.
1: And hmm. I think I've used all of those methods. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's cool. Um, okay. Talk about um, inter- interviewing people because you, you know, you have this awesome radio show too. And um, you know, you just mentioned somebody pretty darn famous that you have interviewed, but um, how does one go about 4,000 interviews um, and where can we listen to your interviews, you know, and, and just talk about your, your, your show. Cause that's, it's pretty powerful.
2: Well, I'll, I'll say, and this, I always preface this, Elizabeth, because people wonder how, how, how in the heck, 4,000. So I always have to add in that um, where the big numbers started, like where it started to pick up steam and numbers, is I used to have a business publication uh, similar to Success Magazine. So people would, um, if they've heard of Success Magazine, or I mean, you could visualize anything like Oprah Magazine, but if it was based on telling entrepreneur and business owner stories. So I had a publication like that, and I had that for. Roughly six years monthly, and it was a fair size publication. So, and I did basically all the interviews for it. That's the part I loved about it, doing the interviews. And so, I will say that you know I, I hit the thousands, well into the thousands, before I ever launched the show. So I always want to mention that because you know somebody might say, "Well, how would you ever do that many, you know, that many interviews for a show?" And and to put a big point on that, we had John Lee Dumas, uh, or he had me on the show on Entrepreneur on Fire, which is a really popular show um, a while back, and. He said, Corey, he said, you're the only guest I've ever had in the show who's interviewed more people than me. And now he did add in, but I will catch you, and I have no doubt he will, but he does daily interviews and has been doing it since we launched our show, daily, and I'm not daily. So, you know, again, I want to clarify that some of my interviews started before the show, but with the show, um, we still, I'd I'd say we're probably into the thousands now or fairly close for interviews. And um, so in terms of, you know, how that came to life and, and sort of how we get people on the show, The show was kind of a byproduct of the the publication. So I had the publication first, and then I'd already done some interviews with some of the world's top leaders, but I was having a hard time getting some big names because my publication was very regional. And not only that, I saw the writing on the wall in the print business. It just wasn't the same as it had been. So I made the decision to transition over to having a show, and it made it a little easier to reach the first couple of big guests because I already had the publication, and I could promise them they could get Uh, basically exposure in both but then when I fully made the switch over then all of a sudden I was on my own devices and then what happened was I had to become that person who's patiently persistent is the words I put on it so I had to really start reaching out really start showing people the value of being on the show but then I had to be willing to follow up a lot because the first big interviews are really really hard to get and then But then, you know, some of them, by the way, took 18 months from the day we reached out to the day the interview happened. And so, you know, I don't want to ever lead people to believe that it's it's super easy to launch a show and get big names on. But I will tell you what happens, and you've probably seen this as well, uh, Elizabeth, is that what happens that's really cool is once you start getting some names on and you do a good interview and they trust you, then what happens is they'll either recommend other big names to you makes the contact for you, or they'll tell the person, you know, you should be on the show, I think you'd like it. And so we've had people like uh, Dan Sullivan, who runs Strategic Coach, uh, and Dan's kind of one of these people that's really known behind the scenes, but he coaches a lot of big names, and he actually, in the interview, said that one of the big names I wanted to get, he actually said, "Um, this person should be on your show, he'd be a great fit, et cetera, et cetera. He didn't know that I was struggling to get the person on the show, but what happened is then I could use the media clip because it was live, send it to them and say, Hey, Dan thinks he should be on the show. And then we got the interview within like a week and I've been trying for five months. So what happens, I find is if you're willing to put in the time, build up the audience, uh, do the right things and, and add value for the listeners over time, once you can demonstrate your audience, you know, and how many, how many people are tuning in, once you can sort of name drop some names that they trust, if this person trusts Corey, then I can too. There gets to be a point where it becomes a heck of a lot easier to bring a a big name onto the show than it did at the beginning. So I guess that's sort of for me how it all came together is I just kept pushing. And then once I started having some dominoes in play, I was able to start pushing the dominoes and some of them fall, you know, have some of them fall down a lot easier than before.
1: Nice. Yeah. And in doing all of those interviews, um, we were telling everybody, we talk about three timeless secrets that you've learned. Do you want to tell about the three timeless secrets that you've learned from interviewing the world's, Top achievers, <laughs> I love that because that you know there's, there's got to be some
2: common when you interview that many people there's got to be a common a common thread. Yeah, I'm happy happy to share that and and yeah when you asked about what I learned from some of the interviews um, these are kind of the the three because what, what we did is after looking at the interviews in reverse we we're able to see what are the most common because that's what people want to know you know what what are the the top things you're discovering uh, and and what you said which is so true in terms of after doing that many interviews, there's gotta be some things that come out. I remember hearing Tony Robbins one time say, when somebody said, you know, are you this, are you a guru and that, and he, he said, you know, uh, I, I kind of hate that term. He said, because the truth is after working with, and I don't know what the number is, he said, but like 4 million people in my career, at some point, if I'm not figuring out what it, how it works, <laughs> then, you know, I have to be questioning what I'm doing. You know, after being with that many people, if you're not learning about human behavior, then there's something wrong. So same idea, when you do that many interviews, there has to be some commonalities that come out. So here are the three, I'm going to call it the three most common timeless secrets in reverse order so that we tease our way to number one. Um, so number three is that these high achievers are able to go all in with whatever they're doing at the time and avoid the distractions that would otherwise take them off their course. And so to actually real-term that, it's basically like saying, When they're with you and you're doing an interview in person, over the phone, on Skype, whatever it might be, they're not also looking at their phone. They're all in with the person. But then when they're with their phone, they might be all in with their phone. So they know how to go all in and avoid all the distractions that most of us struggle to get away from. And that's that's a really big one at a time when we see people walking down the street bumping into a telephone pole because they haven't taken their eyes off their phone for long enough to think about where they're actually walking. Just saw so that, that yesterday. That, that's, that's <laughs> a very common straight. Oh, really? Yeah. I awesome. did. Yeah,
1: so we boom right into their car. It's like, really? You just walked yeah. into so, own,
2: the own back of your car because you're on your phone. Oh, whatever. All right. Yep. <laughs> so, and you know what? And and that's I always say I'm you know I'm certainly not judging, mostly sharing. But what I will say is if if a person's saying to me, "How do I get there? How do I do this? How do I achieve this?" Then you know you have to be willing to look at what these. These again, top achievers are doing, and this is a very blatant sort of common trait that really stands out. And and like I said, sure. it's really to me, it's that they can focus, go all in, and single task. That's really what it, it, if you want to sum it up. Even ignoring the phone for a sec, if a person doesn't want to think about their phone as a distraction, whatever the distraction is, really, it's just saying go all in, single task. Uh, there's a great book called The One Thing that talks about how to focus on just one thing at a time. And why you should bother but that's really what it is elizabeth is basically they know how to go all in and single task that's number three mm-hmm. and uh, so number two is and this one probably won't surprise a lot of people um and the cool thing is they're practicing it even if they're just listening to the show right now but what we've discovered is and i'll, I'll term it this way lifelong learners are leaders and so zig Ziglar had this great quote that he said uh, you can finish your formal schooling and it may be easy but you'll never finish your education and it's seldom easy. And what I think he was getting at is that uh, for most of the people that continue to stay at the top and get to the top and impact more lives and even have more fulfillment, they realize that you need to keep self-educating because the day you stop learning, they say is the day you stop growing and the day you stop growing is the day you start dying. So I really truly believe that um, we need to be constantly finding new ways to feed our mind, but I've noticed that these high achievers do that. So whether that means they watch TED Talks regularly, whether that means they uh, do interviews like we're doing here and interview the highest of achievers, whether that means they listen into shows like this, they read books, whatever way they get the knowledge, what we've noticed is that they find a way to get the knowledge. And then I'll go one step further. They are efficient with getting it. So in a world that I call information heavy, wisdom-like, they know how to get to the wisdom and, and skip by all that information that all the rest of us are getting bogged down in. So they really know how to efficiently learn and get to that wisdom quicker and more efficiently. And then what I'll add in, too, is if a person doesn't believe that this is true or wonders if this is new, what I will say is my girlfriend and I went to Concord, Massachusetts multiple times because we kind of get into uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau and and the work of some of these gentlemen who um, and and ladies, too, because Louise Alcott was also in that sort of uh, that basically that little area they had in, in Concord where they all were prolific write, writers prolific writers, sorry um, and they wrote some of these amazing books in the 1800s and we went to his um, his home, his childhood home and we noticed that his personal library in his childhood home was bigger than the public library and so what's interesting is that if you look at the, the leaders of yesterday, the Thomas Edison, the Henry Fords whoever it might be, here's something that probably won't surprise a lot of people, even if they didn't finish grade three they all seemed to build a personal library later in life. So they all had books. They were constantly reading, constantly feeding their mind. So I don't think there's any surprises here that the people that rise to the top, and again, the top doesn't necessarily mean money. It could mean just an impact more lives, or even just live their own life on purpose, seem to be active learners. So that's number yeah. two. And so if you want, I'll continue right to number one. Yeah, please. So. Yep. Number one has been almost the whole subject of this call, (laughs) this interview. So basically, uh, number one, the number one trait we found with these highest of achievers is that they are living on purpose. So what that means to me is that they've discovered their purpose. So in this case, their why. And they spend most of their time living in their why. Uh, So Bob Dylan had this great quote that I, when people ask me, how do I define passion or purpose, I always usually actually moved i I pass it over to bob dylan because he had this great quote where he said uh and i'm paraphrasing this and he also defined it as success as well but he said if each day i get up in the morning and i go to bed at night and in between i only do that which i love doing to me i'm following my passion and that is success and so to me in terms of what have i noticed that's another commonality and it's again the most common by far is that they've not only discovered their purpose, they live in their purpose. They spend most of their time living their why. They spend very little time doing that, which they don't like. And, you know, take that for what it's worth, because it can be even doing it on the side as we talked about, and it doesn't have to be grandiose. But, and this is by the way I found across the board, even not just high achievers, but the people that seem to have the most fulfillment seem to be the ones that have found their calling and are living it. So that's why I think, whether they follow the exercises in the book or however they do it, Uh, whether they find it on their own. That's why I think it's so important for a person to spend the time to find their calling.
1: I love it. Yep. Great information. Um, We're out of time. We're at an hour. (laughs) 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 I I knew we would do that, go the the full hour. Um, Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about before before we go? And I'll um, just remind everybody about your book a little bit here, but is there anything we didn't cover? (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, so, you know, and, and I, I will say, and, and you're probably going to mention this anyway, but if people listening are saying, how do I get the book? Uh, I think I mentioned to you the the uh, easy website to do that. So you can share it if you want, Elizabeth. But um, I just wanted to mention that because if people are, are thinking, "Is uh, do I have to go on Amazon and search it? You can, but there's other options. But um, in terms of, I guess, to, to kind of finish things off, what I would say is that never discount the uh, the power of so if if you're a person whether you like quotes whether you like reading whether you like listening never discount the the power of getting the right stuff Mm -hmm. into your mind uh so that could mean so this is an exercise i did for a long time really powerful exercise but whether it means watching a ted talk as i mentioned every day whether it means listening to a podcast for 15 minutes a day or and this is the one i'm getting at whether it means going on social media and instead of you know getting caught up in the negative of social media do invest in the right way your time maybe read a quote every day and then share that quote and just something a small action like that if you do that over time I think you'll start to notice ripple benefits in your life so first of all and you could go you could just pick a uh, Facebook page like I mentioned Zig Ziglar I think they have four million followers so they have to every day put out all these great quotes because they have the audience looking for those so maybe just go and on the, uh, the Zig Ziglar Facebook page read a quote a day and share it on your page And then what I found is when I share quotes, not all the time, but a lot of times people say, thank you so much for sharing that. I needed to hear it today. So now you feel that you're helping your own life, bringing that positivity from whatever that positive quote is that you read, but then you share it and then you know that you're impacting somebody else's life in a positive way. So, you know, do something like that, just the smallest of actions. Maybe it's just smiling, you know, one more time a day to somebody walking past you, whatever it might be. But I just, I always feel that sometimes, I shouldn't say always feel sometimes I always feel that people struggle because they think they have to do the biggest grandiose action right away. And so they set this, okay, I'm going to do this for the next three weeks. And then if they don't do it or things get in the way, they beat themselves up. And I guess what I'm getting at is never discount that it could be the smallest action. So maybe your big goal is I want to read this book of why that you've been hearing about. Maybe that's the goal. And maybe you jump in, but then you get busy. Well, you can still go and like I said, get bring a quote in a day to your life and then share it somewhere as well with somebody else. And if you're not on Facebook, maybe it just means you text a quote to somebody else that means something to you or send a message that tells them that they mean something to you. So don't ever discount that the small actions might not have the biggest rewards.
1: Great information. Great advice. Um, All right, everybody. Thank you, Corey, for being with us today. I really appreciated all of your wisdom and all of your energy and time and all the information. Um, I I am so happy that you put out a new book. Um, it's a great book. I I I read it yesterday actually <laughs> to oh, prepare wow. for to. Pre- I read it in one day, but usually I read things in one day and then I go go back to them. So it'll go on a on a trip with me here that we're leaving for pretty soon. But it's called the Book of Why and How. And, um, Corey's book was written with the intention of helping people uncover their core purpose and at the same time, discover how to use it to create meaning in their personal and or professional life. And, um, you can buy, you can get a copy wherever books are sold. You, yep. You can go searching on Amazon. We've got, the, we're going to have a link here on the show and on a blog I put on the website, but, um, you can also go to that speakerguide.com and, um, it's up there too, right? Corey?
2: yeah and i would say actually probably the best and i mean i'll, I'll say best that's a relative term yeah, but if people right. want the kindle well if they want the kindle version we set it up under the book of so that's okay. that's the easy way to get there um so and that's you know it's obviously the book of Y, and you get the book of Y at the bookofy.com. so i think it's easy to remember Perfect. Um, so yeah. the print, print version we're waiting for on amazon for them both to join pages right now uh so right. the print version the easiest way is probably to search it on amazon but if you go on Amazon.com or .ca and type in Corey Poirier, it's the first two things that come up. So it Perfect. is pretty easy either way, but the bookofwhy.com, if it's Kindle, is probably super easy.
1: Awesome. All right, Corey, thank you so much for being here. I, I always love chatting with you. Best of luck. And all you do, we always keep in touch anyway, but, you know, it, for the show, I will say thank you for being with us, <laughs> and I'll talk to you later, <laughs> right? Oh, thank you.
2: It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs>
1: Awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Um, as I always say here on best ever Year, we're completely grassroots so it's really um, it's really kind of you when you when you listen in you're always sharing our show. Um, we're we're got millions of downloads because of you listening and I love having our guests on um, because you always embrace our guests and you buy their books and go to their websites and all that good stuff. so um, got another great guest here. Um, I am gonna before we leave I'm gonna spell his name for you um, so that you can find him if you go searching it's C O R E Y P O I R I E R. Um, And the book is called The Book of Why and How. And um, I encourage you to go get that. And again, it is suitable for all ages. So um, and, I, and I love his one of his intentions and goals is to get that book into the the hands of younger folks and do more speaking in schools and so forth. And, and you know me, I'm a big believer in goals, um, writing goals down, but also always vocalizing them. So if anybody's listening to that and you can help him, um, please reach out because that's that's really important and, and a goal of his. So. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Best Ever You. I, I again, appreciate you all listening and sharing the show. Um, And I hope you all have a great day. Thanks. Thanks again to Corey. Take care, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You.
2: Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by loss. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?